this is Robert Mitchell at High Tide in the Dreamtime. Uh, it's been a while. I've been a little under the weather, but I'm feeling good now. Um, I think this is the 71st episode of High Tide in the Dreamtime. It's an important episode. It's an episode that I've thought about for a long time and harkens back to the, my days in college. Um, I know I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but I actually, when I was in college, I got a degree in religious studies, mostly because it was the most interesting thing to study where I was at college at Syracuse University. Um, they had a world-class religious studies department, and I went there to uh, study um, communications because they had a great communication school, a Newhouse school, and I planned on being the host of the NFL today. But the first class I ever took there was so boring in communications, and they were talking about sports television like it was curing global warming. So I left because I was in this really great class that was reading Joseph Campbell and uh, The Golden Ass and Night by Elie Wiesel and... Um, what else? Man's Search for Meaning. And I was just like, oh my God, I'm in college. This is what I'm going to study. But I remember sitting in a bar in, uh, in Syracuse my senior year. And I was talking to a woman at the bar. And I think she had gotten her degree in like retail economics or something like that. Or something like that. And she asked me what I was getting my degree in. And I said, I'm getting my degree in religious studies. And she looked at me blankly and said, what are you going to do with that? And so today's uh, podcast is a little bit, little bit of, that, of the answer to that question. Um, you know, I recently, as everybody knows, I'm, I'm pretty interested in, in psychedelics, um, but I'm interested in a lot of parts of human consciousness. But the framework with how psychedelics is getting... Uh, viewed in our culture really interests me. And in some ways, I find it really unfortunate. And I really want to talk about that today because I want people to think about why they're using psychedelics and how psychedelics are being presented in the culture as a tool of relief from depression and anxiety and OCD and PTSD. And while psychedelics can do all these things, they are the low-hanging fruit on psychedelic capacity and psychedelic capability and what they can do for people's experience of being human. Now, I know MAPS and all these people are super excited to create MDMA centers and psilocybin centers all over the place where people can do psychedelics in a, in a therapeutic center. And I think that's probably a good idea. Um, probably it's going to benefit a lot of people. However, there is this whole secular notion of that psychedelics are going to alleviate people's anxiety and their depression and their alcoholism and their drug addiction and their PTSD, and they very well might. They very well may be able to do that. But the reason that people in our culture are, there's so much depression in Western culture, it doesn't, it's not because psychedelics haven't been legal. 
as therapies. It's because we live in a secular culture. And I want to start off by saying something that, that, you know, I have a master's degree in psychology. I was, my undergraduate degree was basically in Jung's theories about religion and how they pertain to psychology, Carl Jung. And basically his premise and my premise in anybody that I work with is that all psychological problems are religious problems. There are no exceptions. And when I say that, what I mean, I've spoken about this before, but this is what this podcast is going to be about. It's going to be about how psychedelics are not secular tools. Okay, so when Jung said all psychological problems are religious problems, what he meant when he used the word religious was the, the, the word that it, it comes from is religare. Um, it's a Latin word that means to reconnect. And what he meant was any aspect of your consciousness, that any aspect of your egoic state that is not connected to your origins, to your psychological, transpersonal um, self is going to be weakened. It's going to lack the vitality of that connection. And that like lack of vitality can result from a lot of things. It can be parts of your personality, parts of your consciousness, which are conditioned, that were conditioned by neglect, that were conditioned by people not being empathetic to the most profound parts of your being, which is not a conscious kind of abuse, but it is a way that people suffer in their coming into awareness of themselves. When the people around them don't look at them and go, oh, I see this really profound, important part of you that's important to you and I like it. Be either because they don't like it, because it makes them uncomfortable, or because they don't have the capacity to empathize with that profound part of a person, a child, a baby. Now there's also other things that get in the way of having empathy for those more profound parts of oneself. They're socially constructed. People, they don't work in the social environment that people are brought up in. They get abused. Unhealthy people feed off and abuse. And, you know, it can be sexual. It can be energetic. It can be um, bullying. They damage the part, the most profound parts of people. And oftentimes when people's most profound parts are vulnerable, people, adults will find them and feed off them like vampires. I've seen this over and over and over again with extremely sensitive, vulnerable people who have issues of abuse is people sense, sick people sense the sublime nature of these more sensitive, profound, um, kind of eternal parts, and they try and feed on them. 
That is what vampirism is. That's what Dracula is about. That is the mythology of vampirism, is someone who has no life force feeding on the life force of somebody else to to gain their vitality. That's something that is ever-present in our culture with envy and jealousy, but it happens to children. It happens to them with sexual abuse and violence and all those sort of things. Now, any experience like that, and it happens to war veterans who see horrible things in war or who do horrible things in war, and their attention is so drawn from the deeper aspects of themselves into these traumatic experiences that they can't let go of. It's a form of um, being hypnotized by being hypnotized by an experience that seems to be a lot more intense and a lot more morally charged and a lot more terrifying than any other experience and not being able to let go of this. Well, Jung thought, and I agree, that trauma, especially early childhood trauma, the loss of a parent, being involved in an accident, causing, uh, really hurting somebody by mistake, being born with a deformity, something like that, those kind of traumas were a kind of fate They were a way that uh, a self, a transpersonal, um, eternal part of ourselves became aware it was a human being. And there are going to be some kind of correlations with religious ideas in this. And I don't care because I think most of psychology, including what's happening with psychedelics right now, is a secularization of religious thought. And I think it's terrible for not just people uh, and their suffering, but it's also terrible for psychedelics. And I'm going to explain why, and I'm going to offer an alternative version of ways to look at using psychedelics and ways to look at psychology. Now, Jung, Jung's, Jung's notion that, that trauma was intended to sort of awaken the soul to its incarnation is, 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 and, and make it aware that it had human tendencies and human weaknesses and that that was something that was being shown that needed to be learned from. Traumas are not static. They're not something to look at and be like, this happened to me, therefore I'm like this. Jung said, I am not what happened to me. I am what I become. And in our culture, there is this victimization and this frozen fixation on what happens to people. Everybody has something happen to them. Everybody has a story. It's part of being human. Now, the way that you metabolize the story and the way that you overcome this story and the way that you reconnect, relegare, with something more profound than your human experience is the a priori factor about how deep and how true your healing is. If you can go through what you've been through, and this is something that happens with psychedelics, it's something that especially happens with MDMA, where people re-experience traumas and realize that the trauma is not the overwhelming determinant factor of their lives, that it's an experience that at the time seemed overwhelming, either because they were vulnerable or they were young or they felt guilty 
or or they felt terrified or they felt um, like they didn't have the courage to overcome what was happening. They get frozen in this experience. And something that MDMA does and psilocybin does to some extent is it can show you what your limitation was at the time and that that limitation is not an eternal reality, that there is an eternal reality beyond that experience, beyond the experience that your limited understanding had at the time, that there's an eternal reality behind that, that was there the whole time. And that reality was there your entire life. That's what psychedelics can offer you, that it was there when you were two and you didn't realize it was there. It was there when you were five and you didn't realize it was there. It was there when you were 12 and you didn't realize it was there. It was there when you were 36 and you didn't realize it was there. It might've been there the day before you had this really profound experience on psychedelics. But when it happens, you can no longer be in the dark. You can no longer be dominated by the secular materialistic notion that your ego is sick, which is what all of Western psychology is based on. And it's what is now being applied to the psychedelic model. Well, let's really take a look at what this Western notion of psychology comes from, what it's what its origins are, okay? And this is something that I talked about. You know, it's sort of funny because you'll, you'll see the photograph that I applied with, I put on this podcast. And basically, our, our culture is founded, it's not Judeo-Christian, it's founded in Judaism, our, our ethical, moral, spiritual understanding of what it means to be human comes from Judaism. And Christianity is, you know, I always say this, I learned this in, in, in college when I was, when I was studying uh, religion. Any religious scholar would agree with the fact that Christianity is Judaism for Gentiles. It is, that's what the... That's what the New Testament is. It's Jewish ideas for non-Jews. And, you know, people can argue with that. You know, I always think it's funny when morons like Lauren Boebert or that green woman in Georgia say it's America is a, is a Christian nation because they don't even know what they're saying. They don't even know what that means. Anyway, and one of the ways that 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 Jung spoke about it was that during World War II and the way he explained the Nazis and what had gone on in Hitler's Germany, which he was fascinated by because he was right next door to it and he was uh, German, uh, he was ethnically German, Jung, even though he, he had grown up in Switzerland. Um, he said that the Germans were the, the crust of Christianity was very thin on the Germans and Hitler interfaced with that. And he knew that. And what the Germans really were, were a drum beating, dancing around forest fire, Wotan cult, the lightning God of, of, of Norse lightning God. And that that's really what Nazism appealed to. That's really what, um, 
getting 500,000 people joined and chanting and Heil Hitlering was about. It was about throwing off Christianity. And so one of the things that, we, that you have to look at in our culture and in the culture of psychology is the origination of, of psychoanalysis. Um, and when Sigmund Freud created psychoanalysis, he, he came from a family. His father was a Hasidic Jew who was a expert on Torah. And his and what Hasidic Jews mostly their belief system came from was it came from Kabbalah. That is what he was raised in. He was raised by a father whose adherence to Kabbalah, which was uh, supposed to infuse every experience with it, with a with a, the experience of God. You know, that's what Kabbalah is about. He created psychoanalysis as a kind of almost Talmudic study about personality. And then he created it in a secular way. But every single other adherent to it, including Freud, was Jewish. Except for the person who he was grooming to be the world face for psychoanalysis, because he was concerned that psychoanalysis was referred to as Jewish psychoanalysis. And for those who don't know, the person that he was grooming to be the non-Jewish face of psychoanalysis was Carl Jung. Because Carl Jung was six foot four and he was blonde and they had a relationship and that was Freud's intention was for Jung to be the non-Jewish face of psychoanalysis. And so their big falling out was that the, the, the true reality of their falling out was that Jung actually was a natural mystic. And he'd been having mystical experiences his whole life since he was a little kid and having mystical dreams and having um, and being interested in occultism and psychics and things like that. And he didn't believe in the reductionism that Freud did. He believed that there was this collective unconscious and that things were not as personal in your unconscious and they weren't as reductive as Freud did. And this, this is going off on a tangent, but I think it's really fascinating. And so basically they had a fallout over a dream that, that, that um, they used to interpret each other's dreams and they were traveling together. And Freud basically thought that Jung's interpretation of his dream was incredibly hostile to him. But basically, Jung was going his own way. But here's the thing about Jung. Jung's interest beside, that informed his psychology was astrology and alchemy, which were medieval expressions of esotericism. And I always like to talk about esotericism versus exotericism. Esotericism, es the esoteric, is when one has a relationship directly between themselves and God. 
And exotericism is when you're part of a community and I trade you a goat for a cow and they're a regular, relatively similar age and value. And then when we go before our clergy uh, once a week, we feel like we've had an even trade. That is what exotericism is. That's what going to church on Sunday or, or temple on Saturday is about. Jung was a huge believer in the esoteric, and not only was he interested in astrology, which he, his quote about astrology that I always say is, his, he said, astrology contains everything that I've found in my psychology, and I don't know if my psychology has anything to offer his, her older sister. And his interest in astrology and alchemy were kind of hidden because he was so concerned about how he was revered by the the European intellectuals. He didn't want to seem flaky or new age, but he really is in a certain way. He was the father of the new age. I mean, there's no way you can come up with all the things that he drew on and be interested in them without recognizing that they go back to him. However, he knew and was interested in the fact that both alchemy and astrology originated in the Kabbalah. So he knew that his psychology was enormously influenced by Kabbalistic thinking. And that takes us to what's going on in psychedelics today. There's so much going on with maps, with their studies, trying to please the FDA so that they can legalize psilocybin therapy and legalize MDMA therapy, and that's all great. But the FDA is not the determining factor on the quality of life that people live and the relationship they have with the intelligence that gives shape to everything. So if you're depressed, if I'm depressed, if I'm anxious, because I have this story that I told or I tell about things that happened to me when I was a kid 40 years ago, 50 years ago, maybe things, something that happened five or six years ago, I'm telling this story in the context of a universe that's 14 billion years old. And I'm telling this story in the context of a universe that's 28 billion light years wide. Think about that. 28 billion light years wide is the created universe. And physics says that that's 4% of reality, that it extends 96% out past that into a non-physical reality. Well, something gave shape to that. You know, something created that. Something created an energetic output that spread itself across 28 billion light years and has existed for 14 billion years. Some energetic force that hasn't dissipated enough for that to be collapsing back upon itself. And here we are in a very small section of those those 28 billion light years living these incredibly short lives in relationship to 14 billion years. Even if you live to be 100, it's nothing. And if your point of reference 
is going to be my mom and my dad and my mean sister and my mean friends from growing up or my abusive uncle or this person who did this to me or this person that did that to me. And that's going to be my parent who died, whatever. And that's going to be the determining, the determinant on the state of consciousness that you're in. You are super fucked. No matter who you are, no matter what you've accomplished, no matter where you live, no matter what your job is, no matter what your wealth or your status is, if that is your point of reference, you are looking at an infinitesimal part of your origins. It couldn't be any smaller. The Buddha said, everybody has to come into this world through a womb. So we're all fascinated by our origin stories. We're all, where were we born? When was I born? Who were my parents? What they do? I am fascinated by my stories. But each one of us is an heir to that intelligence that gave birth to a universe that's 28 million billion sorry excuse me 28 billion light years wide and is 14 billion years old and if you can't connect to that in a knowing way all you've got is your narcissism all you've got is the narcissism of your story and that is nothing that is absolutely nothing and that won't sustain anybody And that is why depression and anxiety and drug addiction and alcoholism and OCD is everywhere in this world, is everywhere in this culture. That's why, that's why people can't get out of these cycles because they don't have a relationship with their transcendent experience, with their origin in a process that's 14 billion years old. And if you can't do that, you can't be animated by the same forces that gave your consciousness life. And, you know, I was talking to someone earlier today about like a Kundalini awakening, not earlier today, earlier this week about this Kundalini awakening experience that they, that they had. And that's what those things are. It's when you become aware of your origin, that is something so far beyond your biographical notion of yourself. And... If you can't do that, even using psychedelics, you can't heal and you can't be free. So when I hear people say they're agnostic or I hear people say they're atheist, what I hear them say is they haven't accessed their capacity to experience their origin in relationship to the origin of everything. And if you can't do that and know that that intelligence animates your dreams, that that intelligence is the way that you're able to perceive your reality around you and hear it and smell it and taste it, 
that that's the animating force in your life as well. And that you are part of that 14 billion year force that the universe exists in. You are going to be alienated from the most profound part of yourself for your entire life. And you're going to be afraid at the end that you're just going to turn off. That you are not going to be, be able to connect with that 14 billion year old reality then either. Or the reality that precedes that 14 billion year old reality. But guess what? You will. And you'll think, oh shit, I wish I knew about this the whole time because I would have lived differently. I would have felt more loved. I would have felt more supported. I would have felt more cared about. And that takes us to psychedelics. I am seeing so much talk about healing and about depression and ketamine and ketamine isn't even psychedelic. It's disassociative. And my depression was gone and my anxiety was gone. And what you're seeing is you're seeing secular people and that includes maps and that includes Michael Pollan and that includes Islet Waldman who are all doing the same thing that Sigmund Freud did. If you look at American Buddhism, almost every significant American teacher is Jewish. Because there is this spirit of inquiry in Jewish culture that is about Talmudic study, that's about studying the Torah, that all these people want to express, but they don't want to be seen as Jewish. And they don't want to be seen as part of this Jewish intellectual um, history. And that is happening in psychedelic culture too. Our entire culture, the majority of people in this country which identify as Christian are unwilling to acknowledge the origins of that identification. And in the psychedelic community, people who are using psychology to hide what they're doing with psychedelics, to make psychedelics the secular healing tool like Prozac was, are doing the exact same thing. They're not looking into the Western Kabbalistic origins of psychology and where that really comes from and why they're doing it should be discussed. Because part of the problem that we're having in the culture, part of the problem we're having in the world, look, to the 28 billion light year wide universe, whether this planet survives because of global warming, it's not an issue. The intelligence that created all that matter and all those other planets and all those other universes and all those other solar systems, it doesn't mean much, but it means much to us. 
And if each one of us can harness the power of that awareness of that 28 million billion, excuse me, billion light year wide universe that's 14 billion years old, that's invested, the intelligence behind that, that's invested in the development of the entire thing and everything in it, every squirrel, every fish, every dog, every solar system, every plant is an expression of that intelligence. If each one of us can relate to that, we can do miraculous things. And if we can't, then we're just going to tell these silly little stories, these silly little children's stories about what's happened to us and why we are the way we are. Instead of using Jung's credo, I am not what happened to me, I am what I've become. And what you can become after you metabolize what's happened to you is an ambassador for the intelligence behind the entire thing. And that is what is cap- that, that's what is capable of the miraculous. And if we aren't in search of the miraculous using psychedelics and treating people with psychedelics, then we are wasting their time and we're wasting our time. All this talk about psychedelics. So many psychedelics startups are going under. I love it because they don't know what psychedelics do and they don't know what they're for. They don't know what they do and they don't know what they're for. They don't realize that the intelligence that created solar systems and every tree and every plant, every blade of grass created psychedelics too. And they didn't create them. It didn't create them to alleviate people's anxiety. It created them to alleviate people's ignorance about their origins. And unless people use psychedelics that way, if we give psychedelics to therapists just to treat people's depression and their anxiety and the therapists themselves are not transformed, then the people will not be transformed either. And that needs to happen right now. We don't need a generation of people using psychedelics like their Prozac, just trying to get people to function and not getting people in touch with their origins because people don't know that that's what they're capable of. All right. This was episode 71. You can reach me at my website at www.goingquantum.org. And you can also... Um, you can give me reviews at Apple Podcast, High Tide in the Dreamtime. I hope you guys enjoyed this one. It was a big one. I really enjoyed it. And um, it was kind of a heavy one, but that's okay. It doesn't all have to be fun. All right. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this. I look forward to hearing from you soon. And I will... Uh, Be back when I have something new to say. All right, take care.